relatively short passage uh, this morning, uh, 19 through 25, but there is a lot here, and we've uh, we've come to somewhat of a turning point uh, in Hebrews here. I mentioned this last week. Uh, he's been talking for a long time, hitting hard at this idea that Jesus is better, and Jesus. He started with Jesus as God. Uh, then in chapter 2, Jesus is man, and then Jesus is better than Moses and Abraham. And he, he could go right down the list. Uh, since chapter 7, he's been hitting hard at the, the priesthood of Jesus. Uh, better than Melchizedek, better than, than anything. And, and he kind of uh, brought it all uh, to the forefront uh, last week. Just a couple of verses that we hit in the early part of chapter 10. Verse 14 uh, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Uh, in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, the, the lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering uh, for sin. And, and he just brings this to us and he's been doing it uh, over and over. Uh, Jesus is better and Jesus is our great high priest and the only high priest in which we have forgiveness of sins and he's done it perfectly and he's done it completely. And so he'll uh, summarize that just a little bit as we get into this text and then, uh, then he's got some uh, exhortation for us, some application. What do we do with this uh, now that we know this? So let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I'll begin at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have to look into it. We ask now that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, that we can learn from your word and be your children in better ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, oftentimes like to uh, pick on athletes a little bit. And, and I do this, first of all, because I really enjoy athletics and, and also because they get us a glimpse, or they give us, I think, a glimpse into life in general. And uh, so this morning, I want to start by uh, picking a little bit on on football players, specifically defensive backs, and and I'm always uh, intrigued by this. And and in American football, a, a defensive back, he's he's guarding the the receiver, the guy that's coming out to catch the ball. And and uh, so what he's supposed to do is is if he can 
guard the guy well enough, the ball won't get thrown to him. But uh, if the ball gets thrown, he's supposed to knock it down or, or hit the receiver just as he's catching the ball so that it's incomplete or, or do something along those lines. Keep, keep the guy from uh, gaining too much yardage. And, and, and uh, sometimes a, a defensive back, uh, you know, the receiver will come and, and make a move and the defensive back just bites. And, and he's all in on this move, and then the receiver runs right by him, and, and the pass comes, and the receiver is 10, 12 yards out in front of the defensive player, but something happens, and the receiver drops the ball. Or maybe it's a bad pass. And I'm always intrigued because the defensive backs are almost always will do this thing where they act like they did something. You know, they'll, they'll pump themselves up, maybe give the strong man thing or the, you know, incomplete, you know. And, and it's almost they have this thing like, I did that. And I'm watching thinking, did you really do that, though? I mean, he, he was 12 yards in front of you and he dropped the ball. I, I don't think that was you, really. Uh, it's that gamesmanship that they like to do in sports. And... And the announcers will call it confidence. Oh, he's got great confidence, doesn't he? Uh, and, and that kind of marks society a little bit. We, we live in a society of, yeah, I did that. And that's kind of the, the prevailing attitude. And I bring that up because I want to point out the difference between worldly confidence and Christian confidence, if I can use that term. And it's important for us to understand the difference as we get into this passage because right away he tells us we have confidence to enter into the holy places. And so what do we mean by, by confidence there? And if we take that, that first part, we have confidence to enter into the holy places uh, that doesn't mean we do that thing where we walk in and kick down the door and say, yeah, I did that. That's, that's not the confidence he's talking about here. We have to pick up the end of the sentence by the blood of Jesus. When he talks about our, our confidence and even boldness, Paul will talk about boldness. Uh, we do it with humility. Micah 6 chapter 8 or chapter 8 verse 6 tells us to walk humbly uh, with your God. Uh, as I mentioned, Paul in Ephesians 3 writes uh, about Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. And then he also finishes by saying through our faith in him. It's a, a, a humble boldness, if you will, or maybe a bold humility, I guess, however you want to put that. But entering into the presence of God with the confidence, but the confidence that says, yeah, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And he brings us in, and, and it says, uh, by the new and living way that he opened for us. And this... This new and living way is opposed to the first covenant that uh, the writer of Hebrews has been talking about. Uh, a new way. No high priest had ever done this before. This is, this is new 
And, and you could also translate that uh, re uh, fresh or recent. Uh, uh, in the first century, uh, this is really new to them. But it's this new way. No high priest has walked this way before. It's a living way. Not only does it lead us to eternal life, but remember that first covenant, that left a trail of dead animals, basically. But we have a living high priest, and, and there are no more uh, dead animals in this way. And, th and that curtain is open. And again, we have reference to the, the most holy place or the holy of, of holies, that curtain that got ripped quite literally when Jesus died on the cross and, and the curtain got ripped from top to bottom. And, and, and we can enter in. Uh, Jesus told his disciples in John uh, chapter 14, I am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. We have Christ and he is the way in to the holy place. He's priest over the house of God, as it says in verse uh, 21. And, and then the question is, well, what is the house of God or where is the house of God? But actually, the better way to ask that question is, who is the house of God? Because the writer of Hebrews has told us that already. Back in chapter 3, and this is a while ago now, but in chapter 3, verse 6, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. We are the house of God. We we have this great priest over people, God's people. And if you look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, and he's saying, and this makes you priests. You are basically priests. Remember, only priests could go into the holy place, and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, and Christ has opened that to you. Uh, Peter picks up on the same idea in 1 Peter chapter 2. He writes, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And that's your status in Christ. He's made you a priest to walk into that holy place. And we have the confidence and even that humble boldness to do so because of what Christ has done. And the author spent a lot of time getting us to think a certain way, to, to making us understand that we can walk in as, as a priest, as, as God's chosen into that holy place. Now, for the original audience, this would have taken a lot of convincing. They knew the Old Testament stories of what happened to people who assumed the priesthood that weren't supposed to. They'd heard the stories of what happened to priests who didn't sacrifice as they were supposed to. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, but here's the deal, you have the perfect sacrifice. And it cannot be rejected, will not be rejected. So take confidence in him. You have forgiveness right there. 
And then he doesn't leave it at that. He says, so you have all of that. You can come to God, but, but there's more. There, there's a, a word, since, if you notice that in verse 19. Since we have the confidence to enter. Then in verse 21, and since we have a great priest. There's something to do because of this. And so then he says, let's us. And he'll say that three times. In verse 22, he starts with, let us draw near. 23, let us hold fast the confession. 24, let us consider how to stir up one another. He said, you know who you are now in Christ. So here are some things that you need to do. Starting at verse 23, draw near. Draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Hearts sprinkled clean, bodies washed with, with pure water. It's a reminder, uh, especially for the original audience, of how the priest would have to sprinkle everything with blood. We talked about that. He was sprinkling people and tables and altars and, and he was sprinkling blood everywhere. And, and also there were a bunch of cleansings, a bunch of uh, washings in the Old Testament. And, and the, the original audience would have uh, known that as well. As, and I, even on the Day of Atonement, uh, the, the high priest, before he went into the Holy of Holies, before he put on the clothes, he would bathe. After he left the Holy of Holies, he would bathe again. The guy that took the scapegoat out into the wilderness, he, when he came back, he would have to bathe. The guy that uh, took some of the sacrifices and burned them outside of the camp, he would have to bathe. It was just people washing themselves over and over and over again. And uh, it's been done for us because of Christ. And that's part of the promise. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 speaks about the new covenant and writes, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And, and undoubtedly there's a tie-in to a baptism in all of this. But I want to focus on the idea of drawing near. Because this is what God wants us to do, draw near. Uh, back in, in chapter 8, uh, the writer quoted Jeremiah 31. And part of that was, I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's this, this idea of, of a real connection, a real closeness. I, uh, Ezekiel, again, uh, in chapter 37, Ezekiel writes, I will make a covenant of peace with them. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's saying my dwelling place will be with them. God wants to be near to us. And so what does, what does drawing near mean? Is this something I have to wait for? To, to enter into the most holy place, to get in, into heaven? Is this something I have to wait for? Well, no, it's, it's not. Uh, when you look at the, at the participles in, in uh, verse 22 there, uh, their past tense, notice that. Um, our hearts sprinkled clean and, and uh, bodies washed with, with pure waters. These, these aren't conditions to be achieved, but conditions we've, uh, that have already been met 
We're not waiting to draw near. What's he saying? What's he telling us to do? Pray. Pray. Draw near. Uh, my, my thanks to the late uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached several per, uh, uh, sermons on this passage. And every time came back to this, pray. Do you see what God has done to allow you to draw near? You know, it's kind of like a, a, if you're in school or, or at work, and there's someone you sit next to quite often. You know, maybe at, at work, it's someone you're sitting nearby for eight hours, but you never really talk to them other than hi, and then when you're done, bye. Maybe that, that's about it. And you're around them for eight hours, um, but yeah, you don't, you don't really know them as opposed to maybe your best friend or, or your spouse, who maybe you don't sit next to for that long, but you actually talk uh, to each other, at least once in a while, you talk to each other. And that's the person you've drawn near to. You're, you're talking to them, they're talking to you, drawing near. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to see, look, look what God has done that you can draw near. Pray. Take your Bible out and read it and pray over what you're reading. It's not like that, that person you sit next to, you just have your Bible somewhere in the room. If I ever need it, I'll, I'll go look at it. But he said, draw near. Draw near. Look what God has done. The people in the old, under the Old Covenant would have loved to be given this, uh, this actually invitation. Draw near. And then in verse 23, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Holding fast the confession of our hope. And that's kind of a, a weird word. You might have expected faith. Hold fast our confession of faith. Um, but for the writer of Hebrews, uh, hope and faith are really linked, closest of associations. And when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see that, that hope and faith are tied so closely together. But, but this confession of our hope, and, and this is theology he's talking about. Our confession of hope is, is, is our confession of Christ. Christ is our hope. But some don't like theology, you know, and some will kind of shy away from it. And there's different reasons why, and sometimes these reasons come and go. If I can just hit on a couple of here, a couple of those here, uh, there is this idea that feelings are more important than theology. You know, the, the, the truth is in how I feel, or maybe the truth is in how uh, others feel and I need to hold fast to my feelings maybe I can be a little loose uh, with my theology but hold fast to my feelings because my feelings that that's what's true really isn't it and the writer of Hebrews would say no no that's not it at all um, others shy away from theology uh, saying, well, uh, it causes disagreements. We, 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 we fight over theology, and it, it 
causes some disagreements and so rather than rather than hold anything too tightly there we'll just kind of let some things slide and, and there is some truth uh, to the phrase uh, uh, in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty in all things charity and that actually comes from a, a Lutheran a theologian um, German Lutheran actually uh, Rupertus Melendus if you're curious um, and we like part of that. We like the liberty and, and, and the charity, but, but we also have to remember the essentials part of that. There are some essentials in what we believe, the centrality of Christ in what we believe. And the original audience was tempted to try to get to God in a way other than Christ. You know, they were going to go back to Judaism or some form of it. And we have that temptation in this world over and over again. This idea that you can have the one true almighty God, but you don't necessarily need Jesus. And most of the world actually believes this. In fact, this just came up uh, in the news a couple of weeks ago. A politician uh, appealing uh, for votes and appealing to those of a faith who do not affirm Jesus as salvation. And one of his lines in that was, we all come from the same root here. No, we don't. We don't. And that's dangerous thinking, dangerous for the soul to think that way, that there are many different ways to get to God. The writer of Hebrews has been very clear about this. There is one way, and it's Christ. And we hold on to that. Matthew Henry writes that we need to, and I quote, hold fast the profession of our faith, to embrace all the truths and the ways of the gospel, to get fast hold of them and to keep that hold against all temptation and opposition. And that's everywhere out there right now. Many ways to get to God. Do the one that feels right to you. But no, that's not it at all. Hold fast to the truth. And we can hold fast because in verse 23, he follows that up by saying, for he who promised is faithful. The reason to hold fast to our hope is because of who God is. And we can depend on his promises to us rather than our promises to him because let's face it, we falter, but he is faithful. He is faithful. And we have our confident hope in our Savior. And we need others. And that's what he comes to next. You know, as I said, there are some who don't like theology for, for different reasons. There are some who love theology, and I'll have to admit maybe I err on a little bit of this side. I, I, I love the, the theology, um, but some will go so far, they, they love theology, but they don't really like other people. <laughs> They don't like community. You know, they kind of want to go it alone. I love my theology, and I'll just kind of go this alone. I don't really need other people, do I? 
Well, there, there is a very important balance here that the writer points out for us. The need for others in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. Uh, and this is actually a fascinating year to consider verse 24, uh, 25 not neglecting to uh, meet together because I've actually heard this verse being used in the news lately as they've interviewed different people and, and uh, some have used this verse to, to demand that churches be opened around uh, the nation uh, where they've shut things down. And, and I've even heard it used um, very negatively as almost a way of shaming people into not going to church. Oh, you need to go to church, even in the pandemic. Go to church. It gets a little Pharisaic if you take it that far. And we can be a little bit like the Pharisees here. We can be a little bit, well, just go to church and everything's fine, right? Check that one off the box and now you're good. But as Jesus would often speak to the Pharisees, uh, we have to kind of take a look at why are we meeting together? The church attendance is, is certainly uh, part of it, and it's the ideal, but why? And look at the reasons he lists for us for meeting together, that we can stir up one another to love and good works, that we can encourage one another. You know, I see a lot of stirring up but the love and good works is a little bit harder to find sometimes, isn't it? The encouragement is a little hard to find at times, and yet these are the things where the Christian must excel. Stir up for love and good works and encouragement. What are those good works? Well, I mentioned Micah chapter 6, verse 8 earlier about walking humbly, and, and he tells us to do justice and love, kind, or love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Jesus, and, and taking from the Old Testament, would talk about caring for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner and the oppressed and loving your neighbor as yourself. All, all of those things. And I came across uh, this quote earlier this week. We tend to take on the characteristics of the community in which we take part. And we do need to be aware of the communities in which we take part. And especially uh, as we go online, the internet communities, if, if you will, stirring up but is it stirring up in love and good works and encouragement? Or is it just stirring up? And here's the writer telling us, stir each other up in love. Love for each other. You know, especially uh, for believers, loving each other is natural and, and even necessary. Uh, John writes in 1 John 4, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Uh, Philip Hughes, who uh, is writing on this verse, he's quite pointed in what he says. He writes this, 
He who does not love his fellow Christians fervently from the heart feels no compelling need to associate himself with them. Indeed, the genuineness of the Christian profession of a man in this state must be seriously suspect. For those who are one in Christ cannot help loving one another. And he cites 1 Peter 1.22, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And come together, however that looks in this day and age, on the internet, when we can meet together like this. And, and a little bit of this is, I know I'm up here preaching to the choir. Here we are. We are meeting together. We are meeting uh, as Christ's children but to continue to do that and to do that as he writes all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because the day is drawing near, but God has prepared us for it and he continues to prepare us for it and to strengthen us in it by calling us to draw near to him in prayer holding on to Christ, encouraging one another. And, and maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking like perhaps some of the first readers are thinking, don't we know this already? Didn't Jesus already tell us this? And the writer of Hebrews' his response would probably be, well then, why are you being tempted to go to something else? Why are you considering something else. And notice how he uses plurals in this. We, us, us, we. He's including himself in this. And I, I include myself in this as well. These are wonderful things to say. Pray. Hold on to Christ. Love each other. The writer would say, well, are you really doing it? There are wonderful things to say, but are you really, really doing it? And he would say, look what God has done. Look at that curtain that God has opened. That we can be these well-rounded priests, if you will. Solid in our, solid in our relationship with God himself holding on to Christ, secure in our salvation, and solid in our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters grounded in the gospel together. He's saying, I don't tell you this just because it's something I would like you to do, but I'm telling you this because God has gone to great lengths that you can live this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have this perfect high priest and that we can be confident in what he has done, that we do have a solid, unshakable relationship with you, not because of our our faulty faith sometimes, but because of your great faithfulness.
that we can always come to you. Help us to draw near as we come to you in your word, prayerfully seeking your ways. Help us as we hold fast to Christ in, in a world that doesn't necessarily want to hear about Christ and might even try to tell us there's other ways to you. Help us to hold on tightly to the truth of Christ and help us to hold on together. We are your sons and daughters. We are your family. We are in this together. Help us to love each other, to encourage each other, and to stir each other up in faithfulness. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now if you will stand. And you can spread out a little bit if you want. And Becky, if you want to get us started in the doxology. benediction I want to use this morning actually comes from the end of the book of Hebrews and we'll look at it more closely later on but I want to use it as our benediction this morning. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.